anyone who knows what um, World Anvil is uh, or uses World Anvil, the platform, which happens to be my favorite platform to use, then they know that December is probably the biggest event of the year. They have a summer camp, which I love, but World Ember is my favorite because it's at the end of the year and the challenge is you are to write 10,000 new words of your own world. And it could be anything you want. You're just trying to create more of your own world and that's World Ember. That goes with what we're going to be talking about this morning. So, and that happens to be um, world building. It's not going to do any good if you just nod. <laughs> it's a sound thing. This is a sound thing. It's a podcast. People need to know that you're actually saying something. I'm here. I'm just yeah, thinking. Wait, <laughs> waking up. For everyone that's listening, you need to know that um, we've been trying to get together to do this podcast for days but we have had family events. I've got a new granddaughter, and she was born a little bit small. And so my daughter and my son-in-law, they have been going back and forth to the hospital and helping her to gain weight um, before they can take her home. And so uh, my other uh, five grandchildren have needed a place to lay their head and to play during the day. And so they've come to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And... Um, which means our house has been a little more lively than than uh, than usual, and um, Simon has been the amazing uncle and playing with them every day, and keeping them entertained and happy. Which you're pretty amazing about that, Simon. I appreciate that. Mom appreciates that. You're welcome. I enjoy it thoroughly. <laughs> So we finally got together to be able to do the podcast. We were going to do it late last night and realized, oh my goodness, we hadn't even discussed anything about the subject matter. And so I said, hey, let me think this through a bit and then we will get up in the morning and do it first thing. So it is 5.18 a.m. And um, should we do some intro music? Of course, always, always. Okay. And you know what's funny? I think it's time for us to completely change this up, just for fun. We don't have an established pattern of doing things yet. I don't think we've done enough podcasts to be able to do that. Um, Let's adjust the mics here. Okay. All right, so we will... Yes? All right, so we'll do some uh, intro music. And here we go.
love, I absolutely love editing. So, what do you think of our new intro music? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. (laughs) The best possible choice you could have made. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) So, good morning, everyone. This is Jamie Buckley, and I'm here with my son. Simon. And, uh... Like I said before, uh, our, I think it was our last um, our last podcast where we mentioned we went to the American Fork Indie Author Day to do a book signing. And some of the results from that book signing, the questions that came up from teenagers were not what uh, I was expecting. And that is, even though they, you know, they wanted to know more about the books, we sold a bunch of books. Um, the teens actually came up and they wanted to know about the process. They wanted to know how, you know, how Wanted Hero was written, how the Chronicles of a Hero were written, because they, um, I always tell everyone, these originally started as comic books. And that's kind of a fun background. Um, And what usually precedes that is, well, so you've been doing this a long time? I said, yeah, since 2005. I've been I've been self-publishing and, and uh, selling this around the world. Well, can I talk to you about your process? And I, I, I don't know why I've always been trying to shy away from uh, talking about writing. I just wanted to talk about the world and talk about the things that we're creating. And, um, but they've wanted the process, so... As I mentioned before, it's about time that we add some things to this this podcast. And Simon, you were pretty excited that we were going to expand that because now I could say, hey, let's do a bunch of these together, right? Mm-hmm. And because uh, what people don't realize is my son, I've asked him to uh, be my beast master. That's <laughs> what the what the work title is. Well, it turned out to be a little more of just a, your scientist. <laughs> That's true. In fact, you should tell everybody what happened with the maps. Because I thought my maps were really cool until you got to them. Well, they are really cool. They're just... It, it, it's, it depends on whether you're looking at them and wanting them to be, like, scientifically legitimate or... Legitimate? Cool. Well, I can't make them legitimate. You mean accurate? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, accurate. <laughs> so what I, was what was wrong with them? Well, I just noticed that, especially in writing your in writing your books, you didn't have like a set any set distances or sizes on on the uh, on the your land masses, as well as the fact that I noticed. You seem to have um, the world built for the people rather than the people built for the world. If you notice here on Earth um, with the human civilizations and animals and all that, that it's always the species that adapt to the environment and that find their own homes amidst um, the world, Um, whereas it looked like the world had built itself around the people. Um, with your maps, so uh, I actually and you remember that when I was explaining that to you, and I was thinking that if we made a map that was that had 
that we went a lot more a lot more in depth with the science behind it, then I think it could be fun to explain that to people and show that well we we know how big the world is, we know where the tectonic plates are, we know where where and why everything is, and then it would seem a little bit more uh, accurate as far as real maps go <laughs> and realistic. Yeah, realistic. Which is great. And, and you explained to me that was the goal, and that's the only reason why I, I, I bothered bringing it up, because because uh, they are cool maps. They really are. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that, it, depending on what you're going for, um, we could change it up a bit. <laughs> and the funny thing is, when... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the other thing is, when we actually talked about it, uh, you asked me questions. You know, when you say that it looks like the map was created for the people... You know, the region was created for the people rather than the um, people were created by the regions, correct? Yeah. Well, I remember when we had these conversations that um, I was able to answer all these things, and and it actually made sense. I wasn't able to... um, I mean, the races were in specific regions and in certain environments because... Um, that's how they had adapted. So when I explained it, it made a little bit more sense. It was still what you what you said, um, in that the the map needed to be tweaked uh, far more than what I had done. But you're right. I I I, I had certain regions where people lived, and um, yeah, I, I wanted it to be far more accurate and involved. Um, so that we could create in-depth cultures. You know, I wanted to have more lore and history. And when you suggested, said, well, if we know when, you know, sentient beings were um, interacting, you know, and we know the the history of the world and how it transformed and the events that, that you know, changed the landscape. Um, I remember one of the things that fascinated me the most that you were talking about was the creation of the mountains and that the size of the tectonic plates were, and and please correct me if I'm wrong because I could get this wrong, but um, the size of the tectonic plates also had an effect on how tall or sharp the mountains would be. Is that correct? Uh or was it the or was it the size of the it was the size of the planet wasn't it so how mountains are made they can be made in several ways there's one there's kind of like a volcanic volcanic form they have where the magma comes out of the top of the volcano and kind of builds a great big mountain and then dries um and that can that can make a, a mountain but with mountain ranges generally it's this the tectonic two tectonic plates um, hitting each other, either one dropping, one lifting, them just colliding with a, a lot of force. <laughs> That's generally what caused. So most fault lines are under mountain ranges or at the base of mountain ranges because um, that's that's uh, how most of them are made. So my point with the size of the tectonic plates is that the force from them hitting each other or how... Or how uh, how much weight behind the um, the tectonic plate when they collide um, mm-hmm. could decide a lot how how expansive they are. I mean, obviously, we can just say that they hit with a lot more impact, and that's why we have large mountain ranges. But 
you wanted it to be real. Now, take it, uh, take into consideration, I'm not an actual scientist. I just read the encyclopedias. Your so. love and passion, yeah. We actually call Simon um, the Wikipedia around here. So when he was young, he really, as being bored, he would take out the encyclopedia and just read it like we might read a book. And he just enjoyed everything about it. So he's a very creative young man. So I appreciate so I, you. So I'm trying to make stuff as scientifically accurate as I can as I can make it, but Well and and here's our this is my point to actually start this podcast. And that is um everything we're talking about right now, that is world building. And and so that question for us to start a I think it's it's about time that we start a little series and we will go over world building and the process of writing and uh, publishing and um, getting your story out there to the world because that's something that has been asked by uh, readers and listeners to this podcast. But I wanted to start with world building, what it is and how important it is Specifically because world building happens to be, in my opinion only, happens to be the most important part of writing to me. And I say that because any amount of fiction that you're going to um, write and create requires some amount of world building. And I wanted to do this with Simon so I could not only explain things but allow him to also give feedback and to ask questions. Um, So (laughs) you you prepared for that? Uh, (laughs) Are you ready for that? I should say that. Are you ready for that? I can always pull feedback out of somewhere in my head (laughs) and maybe a few questions but I went from talking last night to sleeping to come back and and keep talking that's all right I will help you I will help you but uh and the other the other fun point about um world building is um it happens to be one of my favorite topics and it also happens to be one of my best-selling books is advanced world building um Years ago, I don't know, gosh, I'd have to look up when when we published Advanced World Building. Um, but I had an idea, and it was a system of how to create more, faster, and better than ever before for me in my world. I needed to do world building on a grand scale for this project with Chronicles of a Hero. So I had a way that I naturally would world build and how I would naturally write. And so I put that system down and I used it and used it and used it. And things grew exponentially um, because Wanted Hero itself, when initially conceived, I wanted it to be my own career path and I wanted it to last for the rest of my life I wanted to create something that I could develop and expand and write within and then turn around and give it to you know I wanted to be able to give it to you and your your brothers and your sisters as an inheritance 
for you guys because all of you are so creative. You all write or draw or, you know, and I wanted to give it to you. And it's and it's sad and funny at the same time that so few of you actually have an interest in it. You know, you have uh, the, the largest interest in it. And I love that you have a hands-on um, here and you're involved uh, and you're taking up areas so that I can refocus somewhere else. But then Evan, um, how he's doing it. Um, but I wanted something big enough that we could do this as a family. I don't know if you know this, but even Papa came to me and said, I really, even in his old age, he says, I would love to, could you find something for me to do in Wanted Hero? He says, I'd love to figure out how to, how to sell it or market it more. <laughs> so um, this, is a, this was a really big deal to have a way to expand a world, have a project that could continue to grow in unique ways so that all these different uh, creative powers in I'm talking about in the minds of my kids could come together and work on the same project and still thrive in their own individual ways. And for me, that, that required some very complex world building. So I have this idea and I realized, gosh, I wonder if I could take this and create it into a book and help some of my readers help some, you know, writers out there. So I took this idea and I wrote an email, and I sent it to my friend David Farland, who is a New York Times and international best-selling author, um, a, a, a genius. I'm going to call him a genius because that's what he is, and he's a good man. Um, and I asked him, I said, Dave, I, um, I have this idea for a book, and I'm not sure if it's been done before, and I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I, I know I've mentioned this in another podcast. But I sent this to him. I said, I, I'm wondering if you would look this over and let me know if it's already been done. So that I don't, I don't waste my time if it's already been done. So I send him the idea. Um, he gets back with me right away, it's, and he says, Jamie says, you have got to write this book. You've got to write this book and publish it for, for today's generation of writers. And I said, but has it, has it been done before? And he said, yes, it's been done before, but 40 years ago by Isaac Asimov. Now, anyone who loves science fiction knows who Isaac Asimov is, and I was... Well, I don't, so you, maybe you should explain no, to me. No, you're going to look it up, because that would be a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, just look up Isaac, Isaac Asimov. I mean, even looking at some um, interviews on YouTube when he would go on uh, Late Night, I mean, watch when he showed up on the David Letterman show, and I think at that point he'd already written like 200 books. I mean, it, it, prolific writer um, with Isaac Asimov. That's just, it, it'll blow you away. Um, but I asked Dave, I said, well, if I write this, would you do a cover quote? And he did. He said, absolutely. And so I wrote the book, um, and... <laughs> It's called Advanced World Building, and you can find it by going to advancedworldbuilding.com. We're going to talk more about this, and I think we'll even do a, a set of shows on some of the techniques in that book. And it probably, I think it's been long enough, I should probably do an updated version or expanded version um, of that book. But from that, 
we've also made tools for writers, um, and they have just been selling like hotcakes ever since they came out because they're useful. They're hands-on tools, and a few things about it that are unique is I wanted to solve writer's block. Instead, I wanted to help prevent you ever getting writer's block and then show you a way to compel your own mind to be more creative. And that's what we did. And we put it in a book. And then we gave uh, created tools for you to organize those things that you create so that you could have your own. And I was thinking about you, Simon, when I was making this. <laughs> um, is because you, you like you like the journals, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's why I ended up developing that in the first place, is because I wanted you to be able to create anything and everything that you wanted, in whatever way that you want to create it, and have a book that would allow you to put it in there as a jumbled mess, and it would automatically organize it so that you could use it as a reference for further creation and further writing so yep i use it every time i world build it's a staple for my the whole world building experience for me <laughs> well i'm glad to hear that i am really glad to hear that so wow we're already into this 21 minutes and we are just starting so the question is what is world building do you want to answer that simon tell me what you're and there's no wrong answer i just want to know what what you know or what you think you know. What it, what? How would you define world building? I think world building is, well, simply put, the building of your imaginary world. It's what you come up with, uh, events, times, places, characters. Um, it's it's everything that that you make up in your head. Everything that comes from your head down onto the paper, um, and and that's the world building that you're building your own little world to ride in, and obviously that like we've talked about before, uh, that varies between this like our the, this fantasy world, the wanted hero world, being very extensive and us building the entire world um, basically from from scratch compared with like a historical fiction where the world's already been made and the and the characters uh, the characters events and maybe a little bit of the places are the only things you have to come up with but anything you have to come up with to put in the book is uh is the world building and and that's basically the definition is like i said before anything that is fictional is going to require some world building and you made a statement last night when I said how, how much or someone asked us the question of, well, how much world building is enough world building? And do you remember what you said? What I said? Yeah. Nope. You said it depends upon the world. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, so world building is your, it's everything about what you're going to be writing about. So when you ask how important is world building, well, how complex is your story? How unique is your story? And the example that I want to give is is in um, is on Wanted Hero. 
And I want to show you something, Simon. When you go to uh, wantedhero.com, and so you've got my uh, my effort of taking over 3 million words and notes and to put them in one place for readers to search them and have fun. Um, I'm just looking at the world content here. Um, and you've got start here. You've got our published works. But then um, it's got um, the Chronicles of a Hero. You've got Hoban's Field Guides. You've got special books. And you've got people to remember. And I'm reading down the, the uh, table of contents is what I've got. You've got under races and cultures. You've got human, gentry, Iskari, Ivalu, Gutolum, Nocturi, Valen, Theron, Taku, Gedi, and Duran. Then under kingdoms, uh, co uh, continents and kingdoms, you have Humar, um, Kurokivi, um, Malistadel, uh, Bavarios, Asalariu, um, Isumir, um, Vatinera, Mavro, Milamakis, Iskari Kalam. Then we've got places to visit. Um, these are just the general categories. Places to visit, organizations. Oh gosh, if I click on organizations, uh, that goes can really go into depth. Um, beast, botany, and blades. Conditions and disorders, magic, lore, documents and records, uh, and special goodies. So that's just the general, and then it gets broken down um, even deeper than that. I mean, heck, if I click on Gentry, that goes um, deeper and deeper. Uh, if we go to Pavarios, you click on Pavarios, then it says Clockwork City. You click on Clockwork City, it goes down to Gnome Factions, Gnome Sports. You go down to Gnome Factions. It's easy to go further down there. Go down to Gnome Factions. Then you got Government Faction, Labor Faction, Religious Faction, and GRR. You click on any of those, uh, you click on Government Faction. Then it breaks it down to Gnome Politics and Political Figures and Gnome Military. Um, uh, you know, you click on, click on Labor Faction, then it goes down to WHRN, Wanted Hero Radio Network, um, Religious Faction, um, GRR. So... All of these things that you break down further and further, this happens to be the world building that I'm doing to give complexity and flavor and, how should I put it, complexity, flavor, and depth to a world so that when I write, it allows me to give that to a reader to grab their attention and to keep it. Does that make sense to you? Yep. You are really not saying much this morning. You need to work up because it's starting to sound like this is a bad idea to do pa podcasts first thing in the morning. So, Sorry, it's very... <laughs> it's, it's a big topic, world building. So I'm trying to figure out what aspects we're going to cover because that's... It's a big question. What is world building? Well, like I said, this is the most, in my opinion, it is the most important aspect of writing because it is the core, it's the foundation, and you're, you're actually creating all the tools and, and content. I see too many uh, attempts at writing where someone takes a person and then tries to design all the things about their life. And I know, you know, your mother's asked this, your, um, 
I have friends and family and colleagues that have asked, well, how is it that you know that, i give you a good example, how is it that you know that Chuck is going to say certain things in your dialogue? You know, because his responses are pretty, uh, Chuck's responses are specific. Would you agree? <laughs> yes, they are. Okay. And Dax's are usually pretty uh, specific as well, don't you agree? Yep. Okay. So the reason why these are specific is because I know them so well. I know what they're going to say. But here's the thing. How do I know them so well? Because you built them? Because I built them. I have enough backstory. I have enough. It's not just what did they do, where were they born, who were their parents. But then what I've done with uh, Wanted Hero is we know what countries they're from. We know their history, the things that they've done, who their friends are, their connections, the events they've been involved in. The way they react to all of it and associate with all of it. And the here, here's personality. the thing. No, you're right. And But here's the thing. When, when they do react that way, how do I know that they're going to react that way? It's because we have all that depth, that previous knowledge about them and we have their historical interactions with people in various situations, all of that is world-building. So I have the this complex networks of, it's funny, real life to draw from. So since I have, quote, spent that much time with them, <laughs> you know, I know what they're going to say put it, putting them in any given situation. Because I've developed that much. So people ask, how much world building is enough world building? What would you think the answer to that would be? When do you want your world to end? Huh. What do you mean by when you want it to end? Uh, Well, when you cease creating the world, then the world ceases to be... Hmm... I I would take that from well well okay so let me explain that better that made more sense in my head okay so when you're writing uh-huh. whoever uh, uh, whoever's perspective you're writing through everything they're they're gonna see everything that's gonna be put down on the paper for people to read is gonna be your world building right yes so. When you stop world building, it's going to have to, well, it's going to have to stop when, when you're done with putting all that on paper. When, when do you want your character to stop seeing the world? When do you, when is this series going to end? You know, cause the purpose of world building is so that you can write the book, right? Yes. So when you write the book and all the world building that's actually going to be put on the paper, you can stop world building when you don't need it then. Okay, I, I think I get your point, and I and and so I could say I think in a roundabout way you're you're saying the same thing that I was going to bring up, and the and that is when you stop world building is when you have enough material. Your world building, how much enough? How much world building is enough? And the answer to that is it's enough when it's enough, <laughs> and it's kind of a funny generic answer, but it's actually true. 
how much world building do you need to achieve the story, to write the story that you want to write? And isn't that basically the point that you're making? Yep. With my tired, groggy brain. <laughs> well, wake up. I can slap you if you like. I could I could pat your face very... <laughs> yeah. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the expression on your face. Oh. Now, um, to get into a little bit, we can. We could do uh, a couple uh, podcasts just on world building. And we're going to get into aspects of world building uh, for many sessions. But there is, if you look up world building, you Google that, um, you're going to get a few uh, fun results. One of which I am fascinated is number six now on world building um, is World Anvil. And again, like I said, I'm not, I am not a, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Doggone it. When you're selling things for people, I am not an affiliate. That's the word I was looking for. See, now I'm tired. I am not an affiliate for uh, World Anvil, but I am definitely a champion for that platform. It's probably, no, I shouldn't say probably. It is the nicest online community, most wonderful online community I've ever seen and ever been a part of. And I've been using World Anvil as a platform for almost three years now. And I love seeing that the number six slot on Google when you look at world building is World Anvil. And it says World Anvil, World Building Tools and RPG Campaign Manager. I recommend, um, you know, if you're a writer or an artist or a game maker, um, check out World Anvil. It is probably the best online tool and world building journal or bible even um, if you're if you just just like to look at world building i mean just surfing through some of the people things people do and they come up with and put on there is really cool oh i couldn't agree more and you could find some pretty good books you want to read if you just go out and start looking for for some of your one of your favorite worlds which is another good reason to have world building because i agree I agree, but the the one thing that I wanted to uh, bring up because you'll see in this list, um, and um, let's see, six, it's number eight at least on my screen, and and Google's not really a, much of a search engine anymore. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it's it because of the AI, it's pretty much a curated list. Google is going to give you what it thinks you want or what it thinks you need not what you actually ask for anymore so i recommend not using google anymore huh isn't that new instead i'd recommend that you go and you use DuckDuckGo. uh and in fact that's what i'm using right now so maybe google wouldn't give me that i don't know uh but that's the result from DuckDuckGo. um so uh i have a specific article that I recommend and it's on gizmodo.com and that is the seven deadly sins of world building I want to go over um, I want to go over a few of these things here because I've been reading this ever since the article came out in 2013 and it's a really good start to find the things that you really need to pay attention to when it comes to world building so I wanted to go over this with you. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Okay, so seven seven deadly sins of world building. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to go over um, the the questions, the comments that they have. And as number one, it says um, the first deadly sin is not thinking about basic infrastructure. And if you think about that, it's funny when you have people who have, and I I've in writing groups, in um, places where people are able to put their stories up for people to um, to partake of and sample, a common thing is they talk about all these epic large things that happen in these stories, and they don't have the reasons why behind them. Why, you know, um, this, this uh huge war between these two factions or these two people, this global scale conflict. And they don't even talk about why it happened. How did they get there? You know, this war that's been going on for 20 years. Why has it been going on for 20 years? Or even another aspect of it that, that sometimes is overlooked is it the smaller effects that it has on the people. There you go. There you go. The, the more thing basic is, things that it that it does to society, like affects what what food is available, affects um, what travel is available, affects what work is available, stuff like that. When it, because in, in actuality, how life seems to work is everything affects everything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And through a chain of reactions, everything's got an effect on everything else. And that's another reason why I was talking to you about. Um, your maps and and some of the world building is because uh, if, if you look at things from a scientific san- standpoint, if you look at things um, and try to make it as real as possible, you'll find that that lots of it um, has a much more profound um, effect on on everything else than you might think. I agree. So um, with our developing the world and developing the maps through time, that's going to decide a lot of a lot of even really really small things like what crops can grow where, what exactly what, what fish will swim where, what tides are what where you know. Yeah, I was really fascinated about how the weather would change and how the weather would be different in different regions, right? Mm-hmm. And also with certain events, weren't you talking about, you know, if there are volcanoes in certain areas, that's also going to change the structure of the soil. So like you just said, you know, what kind of crops will be able to, you know, and that also affects what air, what uh, animals will be available in different areas, correct? Yep. So, so it's funny that this first question, not thinking about the basic infrastructure is there are so many stories and writers that focus on these big, the big epic aspects and they forget something as simple as food clothing and shelter and how that affects everyone and everything uh and it is not addressed because if i mean imagine if you were in the in in the book it'd make a pretty big imagine if it happened in the world right now it'd make a pretty big difference if a war happened and it was so big that you that your choice in food was halved or even quartered (laughs) and that i mean you would definitely notice and it would definitely be noticeable in society that um your way of life was changing even in small ways very much so very much so 
So uh, that brings me to the second uh, deadly sin in this article, and that is not explaining why events are happening now. That's the other side of of what we were just talking about. You know, you have... um, uh, I'll read this little section. Chances are your story revolves around all heck breaking loose in your fictional world or your fictionized version of the real world. One major world-building flaw is not explaining why heck is breaking loose now as opposed to 20 years ago or 20 years from now. Why is the Dark Elf army showing up now? Was there something preventing them from showing up which which has been removed? Will it be too late if they wait another year or two? These are things that... You know, when is asked, well, how much world building is enough? You need to have the history and connect things together. Create some timelines. Mm-hmm. You know, um, why are people acting the way that they act? But I think one of the point behind some of the world building and um, a question that'll that'll really determine how much you really you need is uh you're done world building when when people can ask you a question and you can answer it oh man okay so here's a story with that so we're back with um uh, i mean i'm writing book um book nine now and this was back with Prelude. And it was before I met David Farland. And I remember writing the script for Prelude and I would bring things to your mom. And my wife is, she's incredibly smart. She's one of the smartest people I know. And she's a school teacher. So I'm giving her this story. She's reading things and she comes to me with questions. And the first little while... <laughs> which I've seen this happen with so many people. If I couldn't explain something, what do you think the what do you think the blanket answer was? I know you know the answer to this. Just about everyone knows this answer. If I can't explain something, how do I just wipe over it with an explanation? Uh, oh gosh. It hurts so much to say it though. Just do it. With it's just magic. Yeah, I would say that, and then my wife would go, "Nope, nope, nope, nope. That is not really. You're gonna do that. Your readers are so much smarter than that, and they're gonna call you on that." And I would get so frustrated. We'd get in an argument, and I'd get so frustrated. I would march off like a three year old and throw a tantrum, and I would just leave the room because I just I had not thought it through enough. The fun thing about this is that it compelled me to come up with the history, the answers for these things. Then when my wife would ask a question or my children would ask a question, because I have nine daughters and my daughters are ruthless when it comes to reading, when it comes to fiction, they would ask questions. Now, Simon is polite. You're just polite at this. And you work with me, and I like that encouragement, but I didn't get to this point without dealing with your sisters and your mom first. But she would say, okay, why does this happen? Instead of getting mad, I got to the point of, huh, okay, I'm not quite sure. Then I would say, I'll get back to you on that. I would take a few hours or maybe even a couple of days, and I would come back, and I would blow my wife's mind and have this dynamic um, complex and interconnected history, lore, 
explanation, personalities, um, I would just cover that so that every aspect of that question was now solved. And she would just smile and go, okay, that's now, good. Now, now a thing to, to keep in mind here is um, you don't have to have a world in-depth enough to answer all these questions. If that's, it's not a necessity. We're not saying that it's crucial to, to, to your writing. If you have enough world-building to fill your books, that could be enough. However, uh, don't you want it? To, can you imagine how cool it would be if someone could ask any question about your world and you could give them an in-depth Wikipedia ver- version on how it, coll- it connects and how everything works. I plan on that. Because that's <laughs> that, that's where we're going for, is that being able to make everything seem so real. But I do get your point, but there's, a, there's an aspect of that, though. Um, you're right. You don't have to go in-depth. You don't have to tell your... Here's what I learned. You don't have to tell your readers everything. And you, you, you were right. You don't have to know everything. But I would go so far as to say there's world building that you, that you really should consider. I want to make sure I use the right words here. That you should consider doing, even if it's just for you and you're not going to share that information with the reader because it allows you to write better. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes those, sense. Those are some of the aspects that I would say, that's how I know Chuck well. That's how I know Dax well. That's how I know Wendell well. Or Datherin Istul, you know, all these all these hundreds of characters. I know I know them well enough to know how they're going to respond to any given thing or how they're going to interact with other people. But you as a reader don't necessarily have to know that. I know. <laughs> so you're right. <laughs> and, and you know, I was, and, and in reading, um, I think it was, I don't know, is it mentioned in your advanced world building? The two different forms of writing, mm-hmm. the outline version and then discovery writing. Yeah. The, the difference between like mapping everything an out and then the outliner, winging it, <laughs> letting the story write the yeah, story. it's called an outliner and a pantser. Oh, okay. Going by the seat of your pants. <laughs> So I think w- when you have all that, all that world building, you uh, you're able to discovery write a lot better because um, because the story you already know how the story would be written. If you know Chuck, you know you don't exactly need to sit down and brainstorm how he would react. You're going to be in the midst of writing and go, well, exactly. I know how he would react because this is his personality. This is the choice that he would make. Exactly. So, so, so even if you do outline everything story-wise, there's a lot of discovery writing that's going to be able to take place if you have the right world building because the story will, you know, like we said, everything's connected. It'll pretty much just lay itself out in exactly. lots of ways. And, that, and that's exactly what we do. I mean, you've noticed that, that because, the, because the world building is so deep, and complex in this world. You've noticed when I write a book, I start with, and this is uh, part of the book, Advanced World Building, I always start a book with the end result. I start with the ending and how I want a reader to think and feel. I, I look at what is the experience I want my reader to walk away from 
from this book, from this particular adventure. So I start with an ending that's going to create that feeling within them and then I am able to go from the ending and work backwards to the beginning and it fills itself in most of the way and I know how all my characters are going to react because I know them that well. So that's, yeah, that's exactly that point. It's, uh, I, I know them well enough that if I ask them a question, I know what answer I'm going to get from them. Yep, and that can be a... A real help, not not only because it'll help you, kind of, this uh, well discovery, right? Um, but I think one of the one of one of the other big benefits and problems you'll find if you don't know your characters, um, you're gonna have to sit down and brainstorm. Well, what would they do? How would they work? All that because, because lots of the time, if you if you don't really understand what who your character is then you're going to have a lot of stuff that's uh, inconsistent that they don't they don't react and and make choices consistent with with their personality cuz cuz as a writer there are things that you're going to miss that the readers are going to pick up oh and that's yeah. the nature of writing right yes so when they're reading they're going to because they have a completely outsider perspective on this character, they don't know the ins and outs, they don't know the story. What they're going to be reading is they're going to be reading this and and reading about this character and the way they're reacting to things and the choices that they're making, and they're going to get to know the character. And when there's inconsistent stuff there, they have no idea who it is. They can't they can't really figure this character out, and it honestly it, it does make it less enjoyable because you you don't. You don't feel like this character is real or relatable. Especially if you get to know a character and then all of a sudden they change in an odd way later on. That would be, I think that would be worse. I agree with you. I think that would be even worse. So, and and it's, it it does generally ruin a story for me. If you find that a character, you're like, I, I just spent a book and a half getting to know and loving this character. And then all of a sudden... (laughs) They're just different. It's like, and and here's the thing: they don't even have to change for the worst, particularly. But if you don't have like a story explanation for the for the change, generally it's like, oh come on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, question or um, the deadly sin number three. It says creating fictional versions of real life human ethnic groups that no never go beyond one dimension and i i love this and and not having people think beyond how can i describe this um you know you you need to have complexity with your people not everyone um how can I it it's making life more like real life um you know I'm going to read a little bit from this uh as a trigger this is a huge problem that tons of creators seem to struggle with but as a rule of thumb if you want to have Belgians for example in your novel you're going to have to try to create an accurate view of Belgian society if you decide that instead of Belgians, you're going to have an alien species called the Bezlegens 
who are basically Belgians except they've got antlers, you still have to try and make them well-rounded and as nuanced as possible. So you've got to have depth with your people. You've got to have reasons for what they do, what they do. You've got to have culture. You've got to create that culture. And uh, I think that's because we all know humans are complex creatures, right? If we walk out into today's society and today's culture, everything around you, everything that has at all been touched by man, mankind has a depth to it. If I, if I looked around the room we're in right now and I asked the history of small items, there could be hundreds of years of, of even in-depth history behind things. <laughs> I never, and so something I'll notice. I thought of that. Something I'll notice when watching sh- shows, movies, or reading books, and it'll explain kind of like what things look like, or these like futuristic societies specifically. I'll be like, so what's the story behind how all this developed? And not just all this is in the big picture, this this world, and how the people, or who the people are, but even smaller things like, okay, why did they make doorways round? <laughs> why? Huh. Why? You know, why do people dress uh, in that way? What's the story behind that fashion? What's the, you know, because if you want to, and I can't actually ask those questions. And honestly, I think it's kind of rude in some ways to expect (laughs) that in depth of some people. However, I think that specifically since I do have an an influence, however small it is, um, with the wanted hero world, I think as close as we can get to that, that no, you can look I at the, the, the tiny things and be like, okay, so why is the doorway shaped that way? What is the history behind someone literally changing from a square to a circle? I don't, I don't know, something weird like that. And being able to be like, well, here, let me give you the history. And this is the person that came up with it. Here's why it was, you know, utilized on a on a global scale or whatever. And be able to explain these things. And that's and. Well, a, it, it's funny. Uh, I ha- I actually had never thought of it that way. Here, here I'm looking around the desk here. We've got our two microphones here, and I'm looking at the, you know, like the elephant there that 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 you know burns the the scented wax and or the cup or the stapler. You know, what's the history behind the stapler? Or history behind the you know we've got the little you are more than you think you are wristbands that you know that i made or what's the history behind the two ipads that are there or the you know behind paper or behind a mouse i actually want to know what the history is behind the mouse and and, like seriously seriously small things like you can actually google the history of when straws were invented there's literally a guy who's been named in history as the inventor of the straw seriously yeah you can look it up it's crazy okay you keep talking i'm actually going to do that so, so I'm not. I don't think that it's fair to pressure people into um, going that in depth because honestly, because it takes thousands and thousands of years to de- to develop the society we have today. Um, this you is know, very cool. To ask that, to ask that of a, to ask that of an of an author, well, you'd have to throw your entire life and then several other lifetimes to actually make it that in depth. But as close to that in depth as as you're comfortable with, um, is it sounds well, really, really see, cool to me. See you, little turkey. This is why I love having you on the podcast. In fact, look how cool this. I've never even heard of this website, Thought Company. Biography of Marvin Stone, inventor of drinking straws. And huh. see, they have 
an entire biography on the dude who invented the straw. This is this See, is okay. Marvin Stone, uh, born April fourth, eighteen forty two, died in May seventeenth, eighteen ninety nine. Was an inventor who is best known for inventing, patenting, and producing the spiral winding process to manufacture the first paper drinking straws. Before his straws, beverage drinkers were using the natural rye grass or hollow reed straws. I didn't even know they did that. See, and so even in a fa- in a in a fantasy world or a sci-fi world and they'll walk into a room and look around and I'll notice the the small things because they've built everything in the room to kind of inspire this feeling or idea of maybe a complex futuristic society or a or or a fantasy environment and I'll be able to look at everything and go everything if this was a real world everything this down to the smallest thing in this room would have thought put into it would have depth put into it so and and so if you walk into a room and then you had um if you had one book to explain the history of every single thing in the room well it'd fill the room no doubt plus you know we were talking about how it has influence everything has influence on something else and in this article it says impact on other industries in 1928 electrical engineers began to use the spiral wound tubes in the first mass produced radios all were made by the same process invented by stone spiral wound tubing is now found everywhere in electronic motors electrical apparatus electronic devices electronic components aerospace tactile automotive fuses batteries transformers pyrotechnics medical packaging uh, product protection and packaging applications bendable straws articulated straws or bendy straws have a a concerted type hinge near the top for bending the straw into a more favorable angle for sipping. Joseph Friedman invented the bendy straw in 1937. <laughs> but look at the influence. They even have the original from the 1800s, 1899. They've got a picture of the first uh, advertisement. Stone's patent paper julep straws. Huh. That is amazing. So they have paper straws that would be thoroughly saturated with hot paraffin wax of a high melting point. And it says, straws entirely free from taste or odor. It says, my straws cannot affect anything ever used as a drink. That's awesome. See and uh, and the effect that someone's life you brought that up. can have on have ha- can have on society, even if it if they make something if their whole life the product of their life or the effect that their life had on society was something as small as even inventing the straw, it, like you saw it there there was it had a it had a much greater effect than we thought and so. <laughs> Obviously, that degree of world building, I think, is largely impossible in a world because it, which, it, like I, like I said, it takes how many thousands of years did it take for our society to develop for very simple things to come into, to to come into existence and to just be, well, to just be right. How many things were small, small things it took lifetimes to to figure out and develop. So to make a world as in-depth as ours, I think is largely impossible. But as close as you can get to it, 
I think that it could make it what would make it incredible. I agree. <laughs> We'd and then, be the, the first. And then having it made in such a unique way and different because, you know, with us, we're combining fantasy and science fiction. We're combining all the cultures. It's really hard to mix, you know, the gentry, the gnomes with all the other races because why has the gnome race progressed so much faster and so much further than every other race on the planet? Um, and a lot of it has to do with culture, but I mean, I, I'm loving this, these points. So let's go to number four. And the fourth, um, deadly sin of world building is creating monolithic social, political, cultural, and religious groups. Now here's a big one too. Um, to write a story, there has to be uh, I should ref- I should back up. I shouldn't say has to be. I'm gonna I'm going to give my my opinion, and that is for any story to be interesting enough for me to read. There we go. So <laughs> now I can just point at myself. So if I say it wrong, it's all right. I take it. I accept the responsibility. Um, that there needs to be conflict. There has to be something. Um, there has to be a conflict there. Um, I like how this article says everybody in a particular ethnic group agrees about everything. Every member of the ruling class or the working class agrees about everything. Every citizen of a particular nation holds exactly the same set of opinions. There is one version of history that absolutely everybody agrees on. Does that sound like people? <laughs> Does that at all sound like modern society? That's their point. Like, if you grab 10 people and then... You're going to get 20 answers to whatever question you ask. You can't get all the same <laughs> answers on the same question. And and with the way that society is progressing, that the more and more basic questions that we can agree on are being disagreed with. Like... <laughs> Like what is gender and and you know like anyway so it's, that doesn't sound like people does it at no, all. No, it doesn't, and that's exactly their point. Is you you can't not your your citizens, the people in your world, are not going to agree on everything unless that's you know unless they're the Borg. And I know you're going to say, "What's the Borg?" That is, a, Simon does that a lot. We keep him sheltered. <laughs> it's it's a, um, the next generation of Star Trek, and it's a collective. They have a hive mind, so they have a mother, and then they have all the the drones, and they have a hive mind. So in that, yeah, they're probably going to agree with you know they're going to agree with everything. They don't have much of a choice. All right, number five, the fifth uh, deadly sin of world building is inventing a history that is totally logical. Huh. Huh. Let's talk on that one. In an imaginary world, the strongest side always wins, and the people who are in charge are always the descendants of the people who were in charge 100 years ago. But real life isn't like that. Ah. History is full of odd quirks and happenstances, and powerful people often make huge miscalculations and wind up costing them dearly. Oh my gosh, do you mean like the four horsemen coming down at the wrong time mm-hmm. at the world to bring about the end of the world because they went out drinking together the night before and got so intoxicated that they woke up on the planet that they were assigned to go to 
thousands of years in the future, but they showed up not only at the wrong time, but they also showed up at the wrong place and ended up having to fight the hero of the world at the time. The idea that the world, everything <laughs> in the world goes as planned is an illusion. There's nothing yeah. more fake about a world that has no mistakes, a perfect, a perfect place. And here's real life for you. I tell this, I, you know, I tell this to you. I, I tell this to every human being I know, and that is life is not going to turn out the way that you think it will. It's just not. And so having, you know, throwing in some red herrings, throwing in some twists and turns, um, dumping buckets of oh crap into your books and into your world building, man, that's, that's fun. Because here's another thing. It doesn't have to be wrong. What I'm saying is you don't have to write opposition into history to make it real. I look at it this way. I'll, let's take, I don't want to offend anyone here, so pull up your your panties and get ready for this. I'm going to talk about a, a religious aspect, just about religion in general. I'm not here for for or against or any of that stuff. So, But what I'm saying is when people who are spiritualists, spiritual beings, you know, I don't even have to do it. I just realized I don't even have to do this religious-wise. Let's just take certain people's beliefs. But I still think no, I no, I think religious is a is a really is a good way. When they say, Well, I know <laughs> I know God wants me to do this. Really? Okay. Now I'm a religious guy. I'm a spiritual guy. I love my father in heaven. There's lots of stuff I don't know and that I don't understand and I don't claim to. But I will tell you this, when someone says, I know God wants me to do this, first thing that goes through my mind is, huh, well, I have some struggles with this. Because when you say, I know I need to do this because God wants me to do this, my brain breaks it down as, first of all, do you know for a fact, and I'm questioning this in my own mind, do you know for a fact that that actually came from God? Did it come from God? Did it come from your own imagination? Did it come from the devil? Did it come from a blueberry gnome that's hiding in the back corner of your living room? I don't know. But did you actually hear that from God? Number two, what you heard, did you actually interpret that correctly? Number three, <laughs> did you not only interpret that correctly, but did you apply it correctly? Was it a feeling or was it actually words? So what I'm saying is that inventing a history that is totally logical, sometimes the easiest way to form that in world building is just taking the flaws of people and the flaws of how we think. We assume, you know, the popular saying is, we don't see the world as it actually is. We see the world as we are. Mm -hmm. And that is so accurate. And and the the world and the history of the world, the way that the world is played out, um, is largely, is greatly affected by, by our choices, and not just our choices, but our mistakes as well. This world Agreed. has been shaped by the mistakes and choices and actions of of those who have gone before us and and those exactly. who are there here today so whether it's a mistake whether it's a choice you made it affects the world and it's and it's made made us 
where and who we are today. Exactly. That's exactly true. And I, and I love this, you know, because history, it says in the article, history is world, uh, weird, not world. <laughs> history is weird. And things that seem inevitable in retrospect usually seem anything but at the time. So there's so, not only that, guess what? You know who writes history is the one who wins. It's the one who writes the history books. So, I mean, even in even in our world, it's funny because when you go through the timelines, you have a timeline. You have things that happen according to the humans. You have things that that happen according to the Uvalu. And I know that Hoban laughs often when we talk when he says, "If you really want to see something funny and how twisted." The gnomes are, they talk about the war with Mahan and how he was captured when the Demoni Van Keel was placed upon him and he was banished. Because the gnomes talk about how they were the ones that used technology to subdue him. And he says they weren't even involved in the war. But they wanted to make sure that they were part of history. So it's completely... False, the gnomes were not involved in any way, shape, or form, but he laughs and says, but, you know, those are the records in the FAF. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's a good example. So, and, and even with the people who write history, you said they always win, but even then, we're all subject to our perspective. Like you said before, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Mm-hmm. So even those who write history, you do you do still have to keep in mind the fact that they're still writing from their perspective. Whatever resources they pull from, it's tr- being translated through their eyes and through their head. And then Filtered, they're putting yeah. it back onto paper. I totally agree. And yep. the, the most minor changes, the simple slight change in perspective you have while writing will will end up having a huge effect. It'll snowball, and then years down, someone else will interpret it in another way that they probably wouldn't have if you hadn't written it the way you had. <laughs> and, you know, stuff like that. You know, the smallest things have such a profound effect it, on the world around them. It's it's like, and going through those, fil- you know, talking about those filters, it's like playing that game, what is it called, uh, telephone? You know, you get, a, you get a circle of friends, you've got like 20 friends, and you whisper something in someone's ear, and then they turn around and whisper that into someone else's ear. And you watch it slowly change as it goes around. You whisper like, um, I love pepperoni pizza. And you get to the other end, and it could be as strange as King Kong wears a bra. I mean, it, you're like, what? what? How did that happen? And yet we put it through our filters. We interpret it a certain way. We, we put our spin on it. We, it's, sometimes it's our lack of understanding or our belief system, and it infuses with things that we're told. We have filters and only allow certain things through. We choose the information. We choose the information that we accept. And sometimes that can be a problem. But we're bringing this up because these are the things that you should be aware of in world building because you want to build a world that, that has resonance, that, that reaches out to readers and allows them to identify with and relate to so that you grab their attention and you keep it. Make sense? Yep. So number six on the deadly sins of world building is not really giving a strong sense of place. Like what it smells like after it's been raining. Again, depth. 
I think that's individual interpretation, and you need to take the time to be able to do that. It says you can spend hours and hours thinking about the history and the culture and mores of your imaginary land and how people interact and the way that that different religious and ethnic groups collide. But if you don't make me feel the dirt (laughs) under my fingernails, then you still haven't created a real place. Let's think about that. Because... That is one of the things that I tried to do everywhere you go. But in particular, I've really focused on that particular point with the black market. When I've had more readers say, I would like to go to that world, go into Wanted Hero, so that I can go to the black market. They want to smell. They want to see that night sky that does not exist because of the bioluminescent creatures you know up in the 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 stalactites above them they want to taste the various foods that i talk about they want to have conversations with some of the shopkeepers that they read about see and so we've we've talked about the extre- extreme depth of uh, of our real world and how and and how you, how far you go into that with, um, with the, your fiction world, and I think that uh, something to real quick just say about that. You know, again, you don't need to go that in depth. You don't. And 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 like I said before, it's largely impossible, I'd say, to actually go as in depth as our world is. It takes millions and billions of lo- of minds to have shaped the world as it is right now, but with this. Oh, you're talking about ours as in Earth. Yeah, I was gonna say as in wanted here. I was like, well, but we did, and if we could do it, somebody else could do it. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the real world. <laughs> okay. And and with this this deadly sin that you're reading of mm-hmm. right now is very important because it has a direct a direct effect on your writing, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to help you out with right now, right? Yes. So. From what I've heard, now I'm not a professional author. I actually haven't written or published anything. However, from reading, from talking with authors, okay. from my own philosophical standpoints, okay, I think that um, the 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 best the best scenes in books, the ones that inspire the greatest feelings, and the ones that ones that I enjoy the most, when I'm reading them, I want them to inspire a feeling. I want them to in in intrigue and uh, all, all my senses. I want to I want to feel so immersed that I can imagine standing right next to the characters that are playing right right then and right there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the most memorable and um, books and movies that I've watched um, and read, the things that I that I enjoy the most, they have a they have a feeling around them that's recognizable as them. Huh. And if and if you'll talk to people, and sometimes they'll be brought up in a conversation, and you'll explain something to somebody, and they'll be like, "Oh, it's got a like a I don't know as an example, like a, it's got a like, kind of like a Lord of the Rings feel about it." And you're and you can uh. say yes or no because one of the things that we, you know, because everything affects everything else, the slightest the slightest smell. Yeah. Slightest noise, the change in light, the the you know the smallest things, they develop a, a feel about them, that that's recognizable. 
Okay. And yeah. that and that you'll remember even subconsciously. And so if you can inspire and create a unique feel to your book, something that the people when they feel that they they think of your book, they know it's that it's your writing, they know that it's your world because it makes them feel the specific way. Now, I don't know how to do that. I know that some people have. I know that there are pe- lots of the the big the bigger Brandon um, Sanderson to me does that with some of yeah, his and, books. Yeah, and I'd say that lots of the the bigger more popular books and movies and stuff have they all have a, a feeling to them. Like there is in my mind a Harry Potter feeling, a Lord of the Rings I, feeling. I agree. You know, the the way that the world is portrayed, the way that everything works is just well it's got a feeling to it it i can't it's not just the recognizable story it's not just the recognizable characters but the environment that you feel when when watching or reading um it does play a part so when you're doing the world building and especially talking about the environment around the characters you can i think that's that's probably what makes those feelings is is explaining what the world is around them and what it feels like I, I I agree. Another good example. I, I was looking this up. I another my favorite fantasy series, and it's funny because I've had a few, and now I have someone who I'm I'm just going to be a fanboy forever because it's I think he's one of the greatest writers ever because he ticks all of my um uh I don't know fantasy boxes the way that I consume fiction and that's Jim Butcher uh, and if you've never read the Dresden Files um, or the Harry Dresden books uh, they're 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 for grown-ups older people um, but Jim Butcher I to me my opinion I think he's the greatest fiction um, writer there is um, and I love that series I absolutely love the Dresden Files I think that's it's fantastic because um, he just pays such particular attention to every aspect of world building that we're talking about. Um, and, and he's the only writer that I know of personally that I've experienced that every single book that he writes is better than the last. I literally, I've read everything, that every Harry Dresden anything, I, I've read all of it. And I'm going through it for the second time. And it blows me away. Every time when I get to the end of a novel, I'm thinking, how the heck did he do that? How did he just top the last book, which was my favorite book, and now I have a new favorite book? This is insane. But he does it. And those are the things that I try to rise to. Um, I want to be like that as much as possible. Not what he writes, but how he writes. It's the same thing with Terry Pratchett. I'm a huge, I have been most of my life, a huge fan of Terry Pratchett. You know, you want to have a good laugh? Um, go look up We Freemen. Um, and try to read that with a broken Scottish accent. You will laugh at yourself and laugh at the books. They're just brilliant. Um, and I think this is where where the actual writing and your skill in, your skill in, in words does play a play a very big part in in the successfulness of a story it's because you'll notice that you'll consider some writers better at the simple like writing aspect Mm -hmm. than others because they have a way with words that makes you 
that makes you that inspires those feelings, right? I agree. I agree. And for me, I write so much. I write like I'm writing the um, the script of a comic book. Still, that's just my writing style. I write in small bits. I don't write long paragraphs. I write more in a conversational style. Um, I write more like how I talk and how we have a conversation. So that's good or bad. That's just, that's what I do. But apparently the. And there are people who are going to like that and, and not like it. There are going to be people who, yeah, who will enjoy just different styles. And that's just the, like, like he explained before, nobody agrees on everything. That's right. You're not going to get every reader out there. It just, it isn't going to happen. And that's okay. So we're to our last deadly sin, number seven. And it says, introducing some superpower like magic or insane tech without fully accounting for how it would change society. Oh, see, we talked about this a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah. But it like, you With know. Small scale stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and like it says here, it, it says, if your pitch is, it's just like our world except everybody can turn invisible at will, then you've already failed. Because if everybody could turn invisible at will, it wouldn't be anything like our world, especially if this power had been around for more than a few months. So it's funny how you have, well, let's take like Wendell. Wendell has the the hero mantle. He has the Athari. It's a legendary power. Um, there are consequences to to everything there is consequences i have not only not only do we have magic simon we also have technology which is funny because technology is considered black magic with most of the world and they don't want to touch it the gnomes love it it's part of their their society it's part of you know every gnome at heart is a tinkerer to some degree it's a characteristic of the race are all of them inventors and all that? No, no, they're not. But they have a natural affinity for fixing things or improving upon things. Discovery. Discovery. And curiosity. Exactly. Curiosity. Um, but the consequences of that are they're not welcome in most societies. Um, it makes other races very uncomfortable to mess with things that they just don't understand they don't understand they don't grasp um and then you've got magic there's some societies that embrace it and there are some societies that just say that's just not natural and a lot of the time it's not natural because they're not able to do it so we have those um those aspects how it changes society how it affects society um can you think now that we've gone through those seven deadly sins of world building can you think of maybe another well another mistake people make when world well, building yeah i something that might be might be um major a, a, another deadly sin i i think we can come up with at least one more i know we can if we sit down and think about it we could do many i believe <laughs> Like we I, think I of can, one I can come up with one. Okay. We've talked about the world building. We've talked about going in depth with it. We've talked about, you know, how important it is. You said that you think it's the, the most important aspect of I writing. Do. Yeah. But a big mistake that people can make is going into the world building too much and le and 
lacking the story and the writing aspect. Hmm. If you take too long explaining the environment or you take too much space on a page trying to explain what your world is like and painting a, 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 a picture that you're losing the story, then, then you'll lose interest. I mean, the, the part of what makes a, a, a well-built world great is the stories that are put into it, right? Yes. What's the point of having uh, demonic races and powerful powers, you know, technology and all that, if there's no one to use it, no one to, to do stuff with it, and there's no story behind, well, behind it, right? There's, I think that... So should we call that the overshare? Yeah, uh, you know, world building vomit. You 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 use too much. You use too much. You throw that out there, and you're not you're not using it as salt and pepper. You're dumping it in their lap like Jello. <laughs> That's probably a bad analogy, but I, I'm not it's a fan. A weird, of, I'm a not weird, a fan a of picture, Jello. <laughs> a weird picture to paint. <laughs> <laughs> but it's supposed to be flavoring. It's supposed to be. Or something that's a really good base, but don't overdo it. Don't overshare. You know, hold things back and use that as a whole deck of aces up your sleeve and use them strategically. Well, and treat it kind of like we would treat our, our world. I mean, if, if, you, if you are a person and you were going and walking through and the highlight of what you were doing was the story behind what you were doing. Say you were like, you're exploring somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going, and you've, or you're on a specific mission. Um, if that's the highlight, you doing that, you performing that act, um, if that's the highlight, then you're not going to be stopping and explaining in depth all the sights around you. Um, however, they do affect you. Say you're in a rainforest, you're not going to, stop and and explain to everyone that the ins and outs of the rainforest and the the ev- everything that there is down to the smallest because because all of that exists all of that is there um what you're going to do is you're going to well you're going to explain what's affecting you and then you're going to keep going with the story yes. and that's what's and that's what's important that's what people are looking for I'd say so the world building will affect the story. We've talked about how the smallest things will affect everything else more than you might understand. But but you can't but that can't be the focus. That can't be what it's it's all about. World building is a very complex, beautiful, empowering and inspiring aspect of writing. And like we had said, um, if you are creating a fictional work, there is some degree of world building that um, that it's going to require. You've got to do, you know, if this is something that is um, historical work, you need to do research. If you are creating a fictional work, you need to develop that research you need to invent that research um and so we're gonna uh, we're gonna leave it here because we are gonna we're gonna do quite a few podcasts we're gonna get into world building we'll we'll address individual um aspects and show you how to world build 
um, and also provide uh, tools and um, guidance in this. Um, you can use as reference over and over. I'd like to end this on talking about advanced world building. If you go to advancedworldbuilding.com, that'll take you to a page on um, wantedtohero.com, and it will say advanced world building, creative writing tools for the professional in you screaming to get out. And there are two things on there, two aspects. Um, one is the main advanced world building, a creative writing guide uh, that is only available presently as an ebook, but we are working on putting that in print as well. Um, and that is using the upchuck method. I called it that because I spent time conversing with Morphophilius Smith, and um, that's just what we decided to call it. It seems backwards, but it is um, writing with steroids on. And it will allow you and show you how to create more, better, faster, and to avoid writer's block. Because we've discovered some ways that creatively compels your mind to invent. And it's pretty amazing. So we have that book, Advanced World Building, a Creative Writing Guide. But what you will see on that page over on the right-hand side is what most of you are going to be interested in and excited about. And that is keep your notes organized using our journals. We have the Advanced World Building Journal. We have the Advanced World Building Characters, the Advanced World Building Animals, and the Advanced World Building Events. Now, each of these three books are 400 pages, and these are 8.5 by 11 sized books. Each of these books also, um, there, well, there's four of them. Each of these books um, have on the front and on the spine, they have blank areas for you to write your um, put your title of your book of whatever project that you're working on. And these 400 pages include very specifically designed templates to help you expand your, your world, your creativity. Um, so you will be able to um, create a completely customized table of contents, completely customized content, and then also create, when you're done and you have filled that journal up, you can create a, a complete index of that book. So you can put all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, all of your creations in these journals, and it will give you the ability to cross-reference and put all of your creations at your fingertips for when you start writing your projects, whether that be books, short stories, games, you name it. Um, so we highly recommend those. And um, I would like to do a shout out to my beloved wife and love because she, the things that we've been going through in our household uh, and how she just, oh, you're amazing, sweetheart. I absolutely love you. Thank you so much for all your work and sacrifice and encouragement. Um, she is the heart of our home and our family, and we love you so dearly. Thank you for being with us today on Life of Fiction, and remember, you are more than you think you are. And we'll see you next time.